0: this gospel is, uh, I think you've been looking at it in the series, this, this gospel, this story, Good News, is actually quite uh, significant because it's written in a particular way by the Apostle John, and it, it describes a really close relationship that he has, and it contains some really interesting uh, passages that, um, and one of them we're going to look at now in John chapter 10. And before I read it though, um, I, let me, I'll tell you a quick story about, uh, I was preaching this morning in a place called Ballyneur. Okay, if it's got Bally in front of it, it's usually country, unless it's Bally mccart in which case it's really not country. And I, um, I live out in Ballyclare and preach in the church there in Ballyneur and in, in Ballyclare. Now I'm a suburbanite. I, I, you know, see fields around me in Ballyclare and everything else, but that whole kind of country living thing really, it's good for the TV. But, it, you know, it's not really good in real life. So I arrived in the Ballyneur church this morning, and the kind of the farming guys were gathered around chatting, and um, and they were asking why this guy, uh, Alan Wells, hadn't shown up at church that morning. And his son, uh, he's in his 30s, Simon, was basically, oh, we were up all night, and we were calving, and such and such Kai, we were, you know, and they were, let's just put it this way, he wouldn't shake anybody's hand that morning, basically, Simon, because he was... Uh, and if you have any knowledge of the country, you'll understand why. And they went through this whole kind of chat about, as only farmers can, what sort of a cow it was, and what sort of bull it was, and did the cow survive, and did the, um, and did the whole, you know, did, did they get milk for it, etc. Eventually, I just had to say, you know what, folks, I'm out of this conversation. I'm away here. I don't have the first clue what you're talking about. Now, why do I tell you that? Um, story because we're about to hear a reading which talks about the good shepherd and you and I are in some ways almost literally a hundred miles thousand miles away from understanding what it, what a good shepherd is what that actually means but there's an awful lot of wisdom in here and what a, this image of God as a good shepherd and so when you hear these kind of farming terms don't do what I did today and just switch off and say I'm out because they're going to teach us something. So this is John chapter 10, and I'll read just the, the first uh, 13 verses. Uh, there's more after that there, which is good. It's good to delve into. If you've got a Bible in front of you, uh, John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So this image of the shepherd um, leading the sheep. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full." I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. In a few minutes, I'm going to explain a little bit of the context of why he's talking about the shepherd. Um, but first, this is an ongoing conversation. Although I've just started that at John chapter 10, verse 1, this is an ongoing conversation that Jesus having, actually a conflict, if you want to call it that, that he's having with the Pharisees. Now, if you've maybe heard before in teaching, the Pharisees were a Jewish sect who had a whole pile of rules. Um, they kind of used those rules, their knowledge, their background, their influence, to really lord it over everybody else. They were very influential, not just influential in terms of church and synagogue, they were influential in terms of society as a whole. And Jesus is actually in the middle of an argument with them, quite a serious argument. Just before this in chapter 9, Jesus has healed a man who has been blind from birth. Uh, It's a really incredible story. Uh, He gets down into the ground, he mixes mud and saliva together, puts it Um, on the guy's eyes, tells him to go and bathe in the pool of Shalom, and then when he does that, he gets healed. He's been blind since birth. Now the thing is, the local people can't really ignore this. This isn't a magic trick, because they've known that this guy has been blind and begging, this grown man since he was born. This is a proper miracle that they have to do something about it. So there's really strange things happen. The Pharisees, just before this interaction, the Pharisees set up a court they set up a court where they bring this man in because they want to prove that Jesus is a charlatan, that he's a false preacher, that he's a false prophet, that he's trying to do some sort of magic, that he's leading the people astray. They're looking for evidence in which they can arrest him, have him beaten, maybe even have him killed. So they set up a court and they bring this man who was blind into the court and they say, tell us what happened and tell you, tell us what you believe what happened. And the man is honest and he says, look, I think this guy Jesus is some sort of prophet. Don't know who he is, but I think he's a prophet. He healed me. They send him away. They bring in the man's parents. They say, has this man been blind since birth? The parents say, yes, he has. And they say, what do you think happened? And the parents are really scared at this point because they know the power of the Pharisees. They know the power of the rulers. They know that if they say the wrong thing, that, that, this, that they're going to end up essentially removed from the synagogue removed from the worshiping community, which in essence means removed from society at large. Now, I want you to, I want you to imagine this in a modern-day equivalent. I want you to imagine that you've posted the wrong thing on Facebook or Twitter, that you have you've, you've, some ages-old, non-politically correct comment has, has come out that you lose your job, that people shun you in the street, that you're, you're termed all sorts of ist, um, you're racist, you're sexist, whatever it might be. I want you to imagine that something like that happens to you in this day and age. Nobody wants to be your friend anymore. People don't look at you. This is what was going to happen to the parents if they actually said what they believe what happened. They bring the man who was blind in a second time and they say to him, what do you think happened? Now, this man has just got his life back. He had no life up to this point. He was the lowest of the low and he's just got his life back. The easiest thing for him to say at this point is just to say, I'm not really sure. I just know I can now see. He knows fine rightly that if he says the wrong thing, he is going to be cast out from the community such as the power of the Pharisees. Now you think in your own life, Maybe it's work, maybe it's family and friends. You think of those times that we've had a decision to make as to whether we own up to having a faith or not and we've shied away from it. This man who was formerly blind said to the Pharisees with strength and conviction, he said, only a man who was sent by God could do this. And the Pharisees punish him. They remove him from the worshiping community. Jesus finds him, and Jesus says this word. And he's talking about the Pharisees here. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. That's the man himself. And that those who see may become blind. In other words, Jesus is saying at this point, as the conversation starts, that he is here to open the eyes of the spiritually blind... But he also warned that those people who thought that they knew everything, who in their own hearts and minds lifted themselves above everyone else, those people that had too much pride to seek God, that those people would become blind to God and his salvation. The Pharisees actually hear Jesus say this. This is the whole start of this conversation about Jesus being the good shepherd. And they say to him, are we the blind people that you're talking about? Jesus says, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Folks, the message is essentially this. Jesus is the great leveler of society. Everybody is equal in the sight of Jesus Christ. Everyone has equal access. Everyone has equal opportunity. Consider this man was blind from birth. He was a beggar. He had no money. He had, he had to rely completely on other people for their charity and their help. He is the bottom of the pile in first century Palestine. He is the bottom of the pile. He gets healed by Christ and he goes and he looks, this man who is the bottom of the pile, and he goes and he looks to find out, why did this happen to me? And he eventually comes to the conclusion that the person that did this must have been sent by God. And when Jesus finds him and he has the opportunity to accept Jesus into his heart, to make that decision to follow him, he does that. Jesus takes this man who is the lowest of the low in this society and he raises him up to be a co-inheritor of the kingdom alongside Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the great leveler. And I say this to you tonight it does not matter your background it doesn't matter your education it doesn't matter your theology it doesn't matter what you even know about the bible jesus is the great leveler and none of that is a barrier to him a lack of church background is not a barrier a lack of sunday school is not a barrier of theological education is not a barrier a lack of money a lack of ability Um, a lack of passion, all of those things, they are not barriers to Jesus Christ. In fact, folks, the reverse is true. The more we realize that we are in need of Christ, the more we realize that we cannot do it ourselves, the more we realize that we are sinful people ourselves, the more we realize in that sense that spiritually we are blind, well then, the easier it is to come to Christ, to get salvation in Christ, and to grow in Christ. But those people who think that they've got it all worked out. Those people, and we're all guilty of this from time to time, that kind of think that they know a lot of this gospel stuff. They've learned about it. They go to church. They probably, although they'll not admit it, they probably think that most of the time they're doing better than the other people around them. Those people that, if we're being honest with ourselves, maybe have a bit too much pride and their own ability and their own achievements from time to time. They are the people that Jesus will find a way to bring low because he is the great leveller. The people who are blind, actually conversely, are the most likely to see. The people who think they are seen are the most likely to be blinded. I hope that makes sense. Jesus then talks about what it means to be a good shepherd. And these are the people that he's talking to, the Pharisees. And he says some really interesting things. Now, first of all, um, you need, again, I'm totally not a farmer. In fact, um, I'll give you a quick aside as a story here. I did run a farm once in a children's camp in America, out in Pennsylvania. I don't know how I got the job, but I ran a children's farm. And um, uh, by, by the end of the summer, um, I had managed somehow to, kill uh, 50% of the chickens that were on it and a cow. Very hard to kill a cow, but it happened in my watch, but it's a story for another day. So farming is not something I a know about or B can do. But here's the shepherd analogy. Now you've got to remember this is uh, this is Palestine, this is Judea, um, this is a dry, kind of fairly arid uh, countryside, it's not like Northern Ireland at all. Um, so the sheep need to wander to find their grazing. There are no pains in the sense of uh, field boundaries that you and I might know and see around the place so those sheep because they are wandering and also because the sheep are really important for the economy the sheep are not really used to eat or anything like that There, they're used for their wood and they're used for their milk um, they need a shepherd they need a person who will be physically nearby who will lead them who will order them and who will protect them and the sheep were in constant danger uh, the sheep could easily wander off into other valleys and other parts of the land. And so the shepherd actually had to, a good shepherd, had to devote much of his life to the sheep. Uh, from morning through to night, the shepherd had to be there. The shepherd had to all, physically, literally, sometimes put himself in harm's way because of thieves, because of robbers, because of wild animals, and so on. The, the shepherd needed to do this. Um, This was the job that was the equivalent of the long hours, poor conditions, and terrible pay kind of job. But conversely, the people at that time, and this is a lesson for us, the people at that time held up this lowest of jobs actually to one of the highest jobs. They, they They knew that God had used throughout Scripture this imagery of himself as a shepherd. That just like they would watch on the hillside um, a man or even a boy overlooking the sheep and always being on duty and always being watchful they knew throughout scripture that god had always said i am like that shepherd to you i'm always watching i'm always there i'm ready to protect you and i'm ready to lay down my life which would happen in just a few years after this takes place they would have known some of the famous psalms even the uneducated psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want or um, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. If you died in the Wheel Church of Ireland, you'll know that from Psalm 95. They would have also known some of these messianic verses from the likes of Isaiah um, that, that mentions that the new Messiah would feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. So folks, they get this picture of a good shepherd and we should too, who protects who watches over, who leads, who protects, who would die for them, who would leave in that other parable, the 99 sheep in safe pasture, and go searching for the lost one. Let me tell you about that lost sheep, actually. My, um, my father-in-law died about five or six months ago. Um, and He was 80 years old, and he, and he died of cancer, and, and so we, we knew it was coming, and so on. Now, um, throughout his life, I have prayed, I had prayed for him, that he would come to faith. All the rest of my family over the years have uh, come to faith at one stage or another. And, but Roy, my father-in-law, just wouldn't do it. Now I'm not a great evangelist. I didn't pastor him, or I didn't keep saying, um, "You need to go you need to go to church, you need to meet Jesus and all that." But when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, I sat down with him and we chatted and I bought him a Bible and I said, Roy, you know, we talked about faith. And he was very clear with me. He said, Andrew, um, I made a promise to my mother when she died as a Christian. He wanted me to be a Christian. She wanted her son to be a Christian so that when she died, she would go to heaven knowing he was saved. He said, I promised my mother that I would never make a decision like that unless I meant it, 100%. I will not become a Christian right now because I do not mean it, and there's an integrity to that. And I said, "Okay, Roy, no problem. I'm going to continue to pray for you." And when he went into the hospice um, several months later, um, I was away uh, speaking at a weekend uh, down in Newcastle, and I had been busy all day and. Um, I hadn't looked at my phone, and when I finally looked at my phone at about 11 o'clock that night, um, uh, my father-in-law was close to death, and I had all these messages on the phone because um, as he went in before he 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 fell unconscious, he had been asking for me, and they knew why he was asking for me because they knew that I had been praying for him and I'd been talking to him, and I rushed up from Newcastle um, to get there, and by the time I got there, he was completely unconscious and I prayed with him and, um, and he died a, a few hours later. And I'd missed my chance, I had missed my chance. I was away preaching and that chance to come and speak to him and lead him to Christ in his last hours, I had missed. But God didn't miss the chance. And about two hours before he fell unconscious, a staff member came into the room and said to him, Roy. You want to know Jesus Christ? And he said, yes. God will leave the 99 to go and make sure that that one sheep on that lost hillside is found. He never gives up. And an hour with Jesus Christ is worth more than 100 lifetimes without him. You and I should never give up too. I know it's not easy, but never give up. That person you're praying for, keep praying for them. A person that you're losing hope on, don't lose hope. Keep at it, because remember that Christ does not give up. He is the good shepherd. There's a couple of couple more things I want to quickly add into this from our passage, Um, and really, they're this. There are three quick questions that need to be asked when you read John 10. Um, The first, the first is, who are the thieves and robbers, and do we need to be scared? And folks for you here tonight who are disciples, you need to be scared not just of the, the thieves and the robbers that Jesus talks about from the outside, but you need to be scared that you don't become one of them. You see, the thieves and the robbers didn't just come along and steal sheep out of the pen and do that and do all that there. Jesus was actually referring to the people from within Jewish community, who tried to lead the people astray into political causes, the zealots who wanted to overthrow the Romans, the insurrectionists that wanted to rebel and start a new kingdom, Jesus was speaking out against those people that would try to corrupt the church into their own causes. And there are people today in, in this society and our culture that will want to do the same thing. And we as a church need to be very careful that we don't become that person. A cause is important. The men that Jesus spoke out against had a cause and they believed it zealously with all their hearts. A cause is important. It could be equality, it could be environmentalism, it could be diversity, it could be justice, it could be poverty, it could be whatever. It could be a thousand causes. Causes are important. But you don't find Christ in the cause You find the cause from a worship of Jesus Christ. hope that makes sense to you. You don't decide to do something good and take up a cause in the hope that Jesus Christ will somehow be found in the cause. Instead, what you do is you seek Christ, and the cause that you may be called to live out will be found in him. A person that seeks a cause and ends up removing God from that cause actually can become a very dangerous person indeed. And history is littered with people that made that mistake. And secondly, the other question is this Jesus keeps talking about the sheep hearing his voice. They know me because I know their names and they know my voice. And because they know my voice, they will follow me. I struggle with this verse. Because it's not like I feel like I'm on the mountainside sometimes, and you're on the mountainside and you hear a voice maybe in the distance, it's only the one voice. It's going to be clear going to be probably easier to make it out and there's not too many distractions. I struggle to understand this verse because I don't know about you but I live a life that seems to be full of busyness, seems to be full of competing voices. I've got three daughters and a wife and they're just always talking and and they literally just come and and seek me out just so that they can tell me things all the time. I love them with all my heart but there's sometimes I just have to say look can you not all talk to each other at the same time and then I could read a book in a different room, in a different house, in a different country, right? For a week. That'd be so good, right? And, and, and folks, we, we, we are in danger of, of not hearing Christ's voice because we fill our lives up with distractions. Too much TV, too much social media, uh, too much political opinion, Too much listening to the news, too much talking to other people, uh, too much burying our heads in our phones. That's what I do all the time. I'm a news junkie. And the problem is we have so many distractions in all of that that we find it hard, I certainly do, to hear God's voice and to discern it. Well, let me tell you quickly how to do that. You find God's voice really because you listen for it and you seek after it. You know the famous verses in Jeremiah 29, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you actually try to hear God's voice and you seek after it, I could give you a million and one techniques, but as long as you try to do it, actually God is bigger than us. He finds a way to speak so that we will hear. The voice of Christ is discernible because it calls you to imitate him and follow his ways. The voice of Christ is discernible because it's built into our very souls the conscience that speaks to us in the image of God. It's discernible because it brings us forth into good deeds. The voice of Christ is discernible because it's been tested throughout the centuries and it brings life and restoration. The voice of Christ is discernible because it speaks out to you and I from the very pages of the Bible, this passage itself. In John 10. Finally, this, unnoticed, if you have your Bibles in front of you, unnoticed in the middle of this almost are one of the best verses, I believe, in the New Testament. John 10:10. 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We talked about that. But I, Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The promise is simply this, that Jesus doesn't come just to give us eternal life, but he comes to give us abundant life, overflowing life, fulfilling life. John 7, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow living water. C.S. Lewis once said that uh, most Christians only have enough of God to make themselves miserable. And he was reeling really against this idea that Christianity would become a set of rules, a little bit like the Pharisees all those years ago. But Jesus has come to give us life and all its abundance. Here's a question for you tonight. Do you want to exist or do you want to live? Because those are two very, very different things, although they might look the same. Do you want to exist or do you want to live? Do you want to be a life or do you want to live a life? Because the promise of God is an overflowing of the Holy Spirit that comes out from our hearts and into our lives and overflows, spills over. The promise of the Holy Spirit living in our lives is that we in some way would be that reflection of God as we're made in his image. That our lives would be filled with creation, with achievement, with accomplishment, with a job well done, with laughter, um, with a kind word, with a good deed. You might have a plan for your life. I'll tell you see, if you, see, whatever plan you have for your life, God wants more. You see, whatever you think might be possible for you to do, God wants that times 100. To see, if you think tonight that you're not good enough to do that, that you're too bad to do it, that you've got too much of a history to do it, that you don't have the confidence to do it, that you've too much doubt in your spiritual life to do it, I tell you here and now, right now, that you are underselling yourself because God has a bigger plan for you. Because God was able to take a man who was blind from birth, who was uneducated, who relied totally on others, who would have had zero confidence in his ability. And in a few short hours, he was able to take that into a man who was able to stand up to the Pharisees and the ruling establishment. Are you worse off than that man? Are you worse off than that blind beggar who was able in a few hours in the power of God to be able to come to Christ and know Christ? and to make a difference. You're not. Think about the abundance and the plan that God has ahead of you. I know, I'm going to finish on this, I know that you and I find this hard. I know that we have difficult things that go on in our lives from time to time. Sometimes consistent difficulties that go on in our lives. And I know the temptation is to think that if we can avoid pain, if we can avoid bad health, if we can avoid difficult relationships, if we can avoid people we don't like, if we can avoid things going wrong, then maybe we'll get a bit of happiness out of that. I know the temptation is to say to ourselves, if we can fill our lives up with some good stuff, if if we can have a good marriage, maybe have some good kids, maybe have a job that's good, Maybe enough money in our lives, a nice car, a good house, uh, some, some great holidays from time to time. Maybe if we filled our lives up with, and they're good things, folks, they're good things. Maybe if we filled our lives up with those things, then maybe that will get us on the path of fulfillment. And Jesus says, look, it's all a charade. If you want abundance. If you want fulfillment, you have to come to me. In a moment or two, we're going to finish off with a couple of songs of worship. But as we do worship, I want you to put that before God. And as we finish up tonight and as we pray at the very end of the service, I, I want to challenge us tonight. Think about that life well lived. Think about the abundance that God might have in store for you. And ask yourself the question, are you receiving that abundance? Have you put yourself before God to receive it? Or are you and I trying to get that fulfillment and abundance somewhere else? Let's pray.